0: You're listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast, a cape-free zone where we share stories and break down strength and struggle narratives to reimagine lives with us at the center. I'm your host, Kayla Charleston. Now let's get into it. So this episode may be a little far-fetched for some people, and that's okay. I'm just here to provide provocative topics for you all to talk about and discuss but it is a mashup between episode seven and episode nine, where we're talking about marriage, but throw some friendship in there. So today's guest had a thread on Twitter about women marrying women. And when she said women marrying women, she was talking about heterosexual women marrying women and leaving men to, f- you know, figure out what they were doing and get themselves together. And I don't think that that is a bad idea. I think that as a society, we put marriage with a romantic and or sexual partner on a pedestal. And we do that by, well, one of the ways that we do that is by um, giving it benefits and uh, protection, legal benefits and legal protection that other relationship types do not have. And so it kind of is ingrained in our society that marriage is the relationship that should be the priority in your life and securing a marriage should be you know your your goal your main goal especially if you're a woman so What happens when we topple this idea or we turn this idea that marriage is the most important relationship and the institution of marriage is something that you should strive for? What happens when we flip that on its head and say that, okay, we're as heterosexual women going to use this tool, this as a tool, this institution of marriage as a tool to benefit us in ways that may not be attainable for us if we're seeking to partner with men? And even if you're not on board with this idea of um, women marrying women, heterosexual women marrying each other, I'm all about finding ways to reimagine life with us at the center and finding options that are attainable. So for example, most black women want a black man. Most black women do not date interracially or marry interracially. And many Black women want to marry someone on their level. So if we look at the fact that Black women already outpace Black men with degrees, that presents a challenge for Black women who want to partner with Black men on their same level in terms of education and in terms of earning potential. Well, then you have to also consider that almost a third of college-educated Black men marry interracially. And that's just one obstacle facing Black women. We talk about more in the episode, but that is one. And that's the question I want to pose in this episode. How much of your life are you willing to put on hold waiting for your perfect fairy tale to play out instead of creating the life that you want even if it looks a little different than what you expected it to. So I have not ruled out partnering with a man, but I also have weighed the pros and cons of, you know, what would it look like if I were to build a life centered around friendship, whether that involves marriage or not, and deal with men on whatever basis I felt like dealing with them. So Along with this idea that marriage is on a pedestal and it should be a priority is the idea that other relationship types are not as important. And I vehemently disagree with that. I disagree with it so much. And I think about the purpose and the significance that Black women have had in my life and how they've shaped my life and how they've shaped me. And I can honestly say that there is a type of intimacy that I feel in relationships with black women that I don't think is replicable in other types of relationships. And that's the thing. I feel like we talk about when we talk about intimacy, everybody likes to think of intimacy in the context of like a romantic or sexual relationship and it doesn't even have to be that. Like there is tons of intimacy between black women and it's a type of intimacy that I do not feel have not felt in relationships with people of other backgrounds. So when I say intimacy between Black women and in relationships with Black women, I'm thinking about all the times that i feel like black women have saved me or have seen me or have affirmed me and kept me going i owe my masters not only to my masters degree not not only to my hard work but to a friend of mine who came and got me out of the depths of despair like that's dramatic but seriously that's what happened i was going through something and i was in bed for 3 days straight like I didn't leave my house. I didn't I hardly ate. I I just didn't do anything but I, was, well, I wasn't answering the phone. I was going through something at the time. And it was right at a crucial moment in my master's degree program in my in, in the process of getting my master's degree and it was like my my final draft of my thesis was due in a couple of weeks. So I really didn't have time to be wallowing in any kind of pity or whatever I was doing at the time. I didn't have time for it. I needed to get my thesis, my final draft in so I could finish my master's degree. So I had a friend who, like, after not hearing from me for, for three days, came to my house, got me out of my house, took me to her house, and I literally stayed at her house for two weeks while we grinded out our master's theses together, she was in my master's program, so I honestly and when i whenever I think about my masters, I think about how I owe it partly to her and her seeing my need and that's not to say that there aren't men out there who rise to the occasion who are there to emotionally support women and blah 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 but that's just one example of of a of a Black woman I, I can think of who played a huge role, a pivotal role in my development. But I can think of a ton of other examples. And they don't all hinge on labor because that example, I feel like, was a form of labor. But beyond labor, it's the inside jokes. It's the knowing glances without having to exchange words. It's the, I work with a group of women black women that I'm endlessly thankful for because i f- I find myself switching code switch or stopping code switching because there's a level of comfort with them that I don't feel with anybody else, so there's just so much and that is intimacy so when I say there's a level of intimacy between black women that is a result of our shared reality or our shared understanding i don't I honestly don't think there's any other type of relationship, they can match that. That's not to say that there aren't, aren't that there aren't um, ways of being intimate with other people that are just as valuable. Or, but there's just not. You can't recreate that. You can't remake that. That level of intimacy between Black women, or that I feel when I am in community with Black women. I think it's really unfortunate that we downplay that intimacy and that connection. Between friends, to only privilege and prioritize this idea of finding this perfect man who's going to be everything to us, wrapped up in a package, and yeah, it's unfortunate. Like, and even before I I was exposed to the idea of marrying a friend, or not even just marrying a friend, but um, spending, choosing to spend my life with a friend and building a life around that type of partnership rather than a romantic sexual partnership with a man. I feel like I had some sense of this already. My my childhood best friend's name in my phone is the love of my life. So on some level, I had to have some kind of consciousness about the, the significance of women in my life. Again, I say I understand if this idea of marrying a woman heterosexual women marrying women to share the benefits of the institution of marriage together and dealing with men on their own. I understand if that's like not your thing, if that's not something that you could see yourself doing. But even if it's not, I still want people to interrogate how they are centering their lives around something that is not quite attainable or is not as attainable as other ways of structuring your life. Like if there are other options, why not explore them? Why not pursue them? Why not look into them? It doesn't mean you have to take them, but how long are you going to continue to put what you really want on hold hoping that fairy tales come true. On today's show, we have Dana Lynn Knuckles, the people's oracle and the sidereal astrologer. How are you today, Dana? I'm good,
1: man. I'm good, man. I'm glad for a new year with my air quotes because what does that mean? But at least it's a mental reset, you know?
0: Right, 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 right. So um, I came across, or you came across my timeline on Twitter, and it was a thread about, and the, I'll, I'm going to read the um, the first tweet, if that's okay. okay. Sure. The first tweet was, normalized platonic spouses. Women need to marry each other and let these men get in where they fit in. And so when I read this, I was like, oh my God, I need to have her on the show because this is perfect. Like, I would love to talk about this on the show. That's why I reached out to you, and I'm so glad that you decided to, you know, come and do the show, and so that's what we're going to talk about today, is this idea of kind of decoupling decou- marriage from, you know, this romantic con- or sexual context. I wanted to start, I always start out by getting a little background on guests, mm-hmm. so I wanted to get a little bit of your background. Tell me about um, your background and, like, how it shaped your understandings of cis marriages. marriages.
1: Um, so, you know, I... I guess I would say mid to early millennial. So born in like the early mid 80s um, to two black parents who were middle class, did the whole move to the suburbs and all of those things. Uh, And my parents are still married, but gender roles actually were not. At least in my parents' marriage, they were not practiced at all. My mother was the breadwinner. Uh, And they had decided, you know, three kids. I'm the youngest. I have two older brothers. And they had decided that my mother would have the career because she was being given these opportunities. My dad never really had any career ambitions and fatherhood was extremely important to him. His own relationship with his father shaped his intention around the kind of parent he wanted to be. So my dad made his work schedule fit around his parenting obligations. Uh, He would work these odd shifts so that he could be home. Uh, When we got home from school, he would be there. When we woke up in the morning, he would make our lunches. My father prepared all the meals and did the grocery shopping. My father, um, you know, I have so many memories of being in the bathtub and my dad washing and conditioning my hair and taking me to the braid lady's house the next morning. Um, So at least like in my upbringing and what was mirrored to me, in terms of like how I saw relationships played out. Um, Gender norms just weren't there. I mean, some of the other like family members who were really close in terms of like child rearing, like my dad's Mm -hmm. first cousin, his wife was an academic and had a PhD and, you know, just all of the men that I was raised around were were nurturers in terms of feeding the family, like cooking and all of these things. So as far as that's concerned, like what I witnessed growing up was that. Now what I was taught, you know, in terms of being raised in the church and just some of the ways that parents will, will, as they say, uh, raise their daughters, right? And kind of coddle their sons. I definitely received mixed messages from that. But Obviously, as far as what I've internalized was enough to like lean me towards these allegedly radical stances (laughs) around, you know, relationships and and things like that.
0: Gotcha. So that's kind of like the, the opposite or the reverse of what a lot, what is common in, uh, I feel like cis hetero relationships and in terms of child care, uh child rearing and things like that with, you know, your experience with a lot of men taking nurturing positions and things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really interesting. And it's funny that you said allegedly radical, right?
1: <laughs> right. Like according to whom, I don't know. So I just say things that make like
0: sense to me. And then when I say them out
1: loud, people be like, Oh, And I'll be like, wait, what did I miss?
0: (laughs) Right, right. And yeah, and and honestly, that's why I wanted to have you here because the idea of women marrying women to share the benefits of marriage together um, makes sense in the context of cishet relationships and the things that men are able or not able to provide. But it is kind of a thing that I feel like a lot of people are like, "Mm, I don't know about that. How does that work? So Right, right, right. So how did you... Well, I guess the another question i like to ask is when did you start to understand that you wanted something different? But you said you were always kind of raised in this environment where you saw men as nurturing and things like that. So mm-hmm. did you kind of, as you grew up, see what you had experienced growing up versus what relationships were for a lot of other mm-hmm. women and decide you didn't want that? So tell me about that.
1: Yo, no. So seriously, like it's really within the past, like three or four years, I I turned 37 on Saturday and it's really in the past, I would say two or three, four years where I've been like, dad, you're a unicorn. Our family is a unicorn. It is not like this out here. And in terms of like, like people always say you want A person like your father. And it's like, well, yeah, like my dad was like, I was attached. I'm daddy's girl to this day, like attached at the hip. I would be in my dad's extra size classes with him on the floor doing pushups and stuff, you know, riding bikes and, and going to the grocery store. Like he taught me how to do those things. So in terms of the kind of partner I would look for, like, definitely I want this person to be nurturing and to be comfortable with my power out in the world and to not tie his masculinity to his earning power. And unfortunately people aren't raised that way. Men, you know, they aren't raised that way. Um, And when we get to the question about the book that I would suggest it's in this book, uh, women race in class by Angela Davis, one she's tracing like the history of feminism and how like, what we think of as the first wave of feminism was actually co-opted from Black women. Um, But also just in terms of one of the core principles of the first wave of feminism was like this rejection of gender roles. And she talks about how like back in the enslaved quarters, like back when Black men and Black women were building families and homes, but they were enslaved part of that dynamic was the rejection of gender roles. Like when you came into the home after being out in the fields or, you know, out on the plantation, like there was an equality that uh, was a kind of tacit rejection of patriarchy and the gender roles that white supremacy kind of imposed on us. And, So what I really feel like is that, unfortunately, Black men have drank the patriarchy, white supremacy Kool-Aid, and they have not defined manhood for themselves. They define manhood in terms of what whiteness teaches them and what patriarchy teaches them, forgetting that they do not have the privileges of white men that allow them to play the, quote, provider role, that allow them to, quote, win capitalism, like they're not going to win capitalism. So this kind of the the function of gender roles in cisgendered heterosexual relationships is dependent upon the man having power out in the world and the woman being over the home domain. But black men, you don't have no power out in the world. So how is that going to be your goal for relationships? And then it's a whole other conversation where we really talk about the ways that you know, cisgendered people are um, socialized to approach relationships where women are socialized to approach it in this romantic, idealistic way, and men are socialized to approach it it transactionally. So they're not even coming into the relationship with the same idea, upbringing, or socialization about what it is is even supposed to be.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot going on there, a lot that (laughs) A lot that makes, I don't know, relationships between Black men and Black women, I don't want to say fraud. I don't know if fraud is the right word. I don't know. It's just a lot going on. But I I do think it's also interesting that you had a lot of examples of nurturing Black men in your your life, because I feel like uh, some people might hear you say that you think women should marry women and be like, oh... You know who? What man hurt you? And you didn't have a father, and blah blah blah. It's the total opposite. Like it's my the total dad opposite. is that dude. Like,
1: like my father is the guy that the homies from the neighborhood come ring our doorbell looking for him because they know that if they need a couple dollars, he's gonna. If they need guidance, all I have two older brothers. All of their friends, both male and female, call my dad pop. Because he's this per he's a father's father. Like, he never felt like, oh, these are my kids. And I don't know about, I mean, my dad coached P ball for 40 years, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like, ain't no man hurt me. My daddy's still knocking on 70 to this day. If I needed something, he would figure out how to make it happen right now. So, I was never hurt. I just had a unique experience of men. And that's not to say that my upbringing was free from misogyny and objectification and all of those things that are sewn into the fabric of American life and and, and into kind of how we approach gender. But like you said, I wasn't hurt by anybody like my daddy loved. Listen, I got my daddy, I got all his first cousins, my two older brothers and all of their friends. I mean, my childhood was surrounded by men who protected me. You mm-hmm. know, it was who who nurtured me, who cared for me. My dad's first cousin, I remember when I had my son, I was twenty eight, he would come ring the doorbell and stick out his hand and just give me three hundred dollars. Cause I was a single mother and needed money and he had it. So, like, ain't nobody hurt me. Y'all can save that for your own self. <laughs>
0: Yes. Yes. I love that. Flip that narrative on his head. Yep. So one thing you mentioned in the in the thread was about um, you had a, a, a room in Clubhouse and the women in there were talking about how partnering with men um, can be dangerous. So can we talk more about that? Like what are some of the ways that you feel or think or have seen that partnering with men as a woman might endanger us? I mean,
1: do we have time? For it all, I mean, we can talk about the less obviously dangerous aspects of leaving women to bear the brunt of the emotional labor in the partnership. That means that the woman is responsible for being empathetic and understanding and articulating the emotional reality of the man when he is incapable of reciprocating that for her. So she turns out to be his therapist, his stand-in mother, his cook, his wife, the mother of his children. And so men can't even hold all of those aspects of womanhood in one person. So then he's got to go find somebody else that he can do sexual things with that he, you know, even if his wife wants to do it. Right. So now she's open to STDs and infidelity and all of these things. And then we can get to the more, uh, you know, the ways that women are isolated in motherhood from each other and how, you know, the nuclear family and these cisgendered relationships, you know, lead to postpartum depression because the woman got to take the baby to the daycare center at six weeks and her breast are like all of these different things going on. And then, of course, I mean, we know who's killing black women, black trans women. It's black men because their identity is tied to how other people perceive their sexuality. Their identity is tied to the the preservation of this machismo that is killing them you know heart disease still the number one killer of black men you know and it's causing them to kill women so you know i i i could tell so many stories about friends who have been in you know domestic abuse and violent situations and one friend her husband was abusing her isolating her physically harming her, broke her jaw, ruined her hearing. He would sleep in front of the door at night so that she couldn't leave. This is not an uncommon story. The majority of women who are killed by their spouses are murdered after they leave a domestic. I mean, I know this woman, I was a teenager, this woman at my church growing up, she had left her husband and he was at her job. She came out of work, he shot her in her face. She survived, thank God. But the reality is, is that when cisgendered, you know, heterosexual women center their life, their material security around a romantic relationship with the cisgendered heterosexual man, they are putting themselves in harm's way.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there and there are statistics that support this. So, like the fact that Black women experience more intimate partner violence than um, other Latinx women and Asian women. Um, and I think and I do think it's tied to you know what you said about Black men wrapping their masculinity in this ability to uh, win at capitalism and their and their inability to to win. And so how they take that out on their their partners. And you also mentioned. You made a really good point about the isolation of like motherhood. That's one thing I don't know whether for me, I don't know whether it's the chicken or the egg, because I have for a long time felt like I didn't want to have children. But I I can't tell if I didn't want to have children first or if I had some kind of understanding of how isolated it can be to be a mother and to not have the community that you need to raise children and so I just got I just recently got a puppy like in November last year and I and I have him just by myself and you know I don't know if you have pets or anything but um, they take a lot of work and it was just me here raising him and I was thinking about okay this is just a puppy this is a dog I can't imagine if I was if I had an actual child and it was just on me to raise this child um, without the the community that you really need to raise a child so I want to say. Uh, there are a lot of precautions or things that you need to weigh when you're thinking about like, what are the benefits of marriage and what are, what is it going to provide you if you're a woman and you're trying to partner with a man, you actually also raised a good question um, in this thread. When you ask, does it make sense to expect everything from a man or from one person? So some of the things you you listed were attraction and pleasure, romance, sex affection, and then the material things like housing, food, safety, and then companionship and intimacy. So like, how realistic is it to expect all of these things from one person? And I thought that was a a really good question. Yeah, you know, I think that, and this is something that applies applies
1: broadly to heterosexual relationships and not necessarily just to relationships between black men and black women. Mm -hmm. But the idea that my material survival, should be tied to a romantic like to a romantic relationship. I think that that's a fundamentally flawed premise that needs to be reexamined at the get-go. I don't care what your sexual orientation is or who you like to partner with. Like I think that it's it's in terms of stability, in terms of security, we need to question the the given kind of expectation that I am to enter a partnership that is romantically, sexually, emotionally fulfilling, and also meeting my material security needs. And I think that for, um, you know, if we go back to some of the ways that we might've related in community prior to being enslaved here, the women shared the burden of parenting together and the men were not welcome. Like, don't come over here. Right. I mean, Another one of my allegedly radical stances is that men are toxic to the child rearing and raising of children and they should have nothing to do with children until children are at least 12.
0: Mm, okay, so say more about that. I mean if you want to. If inside
1: a relationship between a cisgendered man and women, woman, the woman is going to be expected to bear the burden of the labor of keeping house, bear the burden of the emotional labor and stuntedness of the man, and also be solely responsible for the emotional, psychological, spiritual, and physical labor of rearing children. Why is he here? He's adding more labor. And again, this was not my upbringing because my father shared the burden of parenting Like. Truth be told, when I had an emotional issue, for the most part, I was not going to my mama. I was going to my dad. So that wasn't my upbringing, but it's most it's most people's upbringing that the mother grows resentful. The mother is tired and worn out and wondering why she's depressed. And, you know, 20 years into the marriage, she's ready to go because it is a whole entire full-time job. And... I don't think that this is because there is something wrong with black men. I don't think there's anything wrong with black men. I think that black men are struggling to define manhood, to define what it means to be in relationship and community within the context of white supremacy and capitalism and patriarchy. However, again, I I call these things like completely valid survival mechanisms. It is a completely legitimate survival strategy to assimilate to white supremacy. It's a completely legitimate survival strategy to assimilate to patriarchy. However, this is why (laughs) I have one of these phrases and themes for this year and next decolonizing the survival instinct. Right. Because in order to really get free, like you're not going to win capitalism and you're definitely not going to win patriarchy because white men ain't giving up nothing. okay? And so as long as you think that this is like a fair fight, that you have a chance to win, like you just sending yourself to the early grave, like uh, following the rules and the law does not save your life. We know that now going to school and getting a degree is not going to lead you to financial stability and security. So all of these things that we've been taught are the key to, quote, winning the American dream. Like Dr. Martin Luther King has said it best. He said, I fear I'm integrating my people into a sinking ship. You absolutely were. And that's why they killed you, because you were really catching on to the class dynamics that were really at play in terms of the systems of oppression here. So again, I don't think that there's anything wrong with black men. I do think they need to wake up. Like I do need, I do think that they need to like, like have a wake up call. Um, and I think they are slowly, but surely the younger generations, I'm talking about people who are in their mid to early twenties, definitely um, so much more liberated and open to, questioning patriarchy and pushing back against gender norms but as I said in one video recently I said man you have got to disconnect your identity from your genitals and whatever someone else thinks they're doing right if your biggest fear is to be called gay yikes like that's the worst thing you could be is gay bruh we're not going to add axe murderer We're not going to add, like, you know. Sexual abuser. Life like, beater, what, what? child abuser. No, gay is the worst
0: thing you could be. Like, bruh. Yeah. So I want to ask, <laughs> I want to ask, do you feel like um, Black women struggle with building community under white supremacy? And, oh, and why so or why not? Oh, absolutely.
1: Um, the pick-me wars. Right. This idea that my womanhood and how I dress, how I speak, the job I take, the kind of jo- car I drive, the kind of language I use, what color lipstick I wear or don't wear, how much skin I show or don't know show is all for the gaze of men. All mm-hmm. for the, the consumption of men is just like this baby girl. Come on now. Come on now. I mean, this is, this is a fundamental question of identity. If your actions, your self-perception and your identity only exist in reference to how you believe a particular person or group of people is gonna judge it, like, man, I, I wish better for you. I, I wish better for you to perceive your body type and, and your sexuality and your pleasure and your joy Through this lens of, is this going to lessen my chances of getting a man? Like, baby girl, let me tell you something. Whatever man that you think that you're going to get. They can't see my face, but you see my face. (laughs) Seriously, though, um, there's this really terrible sense of competition between black women that is absolutely disgusting and we judge each other the way that patriarchy judges women i mean i call these things belief systems they're they're cults because they have these doctrines that if you do not subscribe to them and live your life by them you will be excommunicated right you will be kicked out of the tribe and so these are very very cultish things like the idea that i have a body and how whether or not I shave my armpits, I ain't got no hair on my head. My hair was down my back a year ago. And it'll grow back if I want it. I like it like this right now. Shouts out to a uh, bald Sicily Tyson. You know what I'm saying? Who did the, the straight to the scalp, you know? But the idea that, uh, that what I do and whether or not I do something is purely about whether or not I can get a man like, yo, I just want better for us. You know, we have I don't want to say we've lost it, but I do think that patriarchy makes sisterhood very, very, very difficult because everything is about a power grab. We're trying to get next to black men because black men are trying to get next to white men and white men are where the power is. (laughs) So we think that the only means to agency control power, financial security, and stability is by getting next to a Black man. But the fact of the matter is that Black women have more degrees than Black men. Uh, When it comes to small businesses being formed and profited, it's Black women who are creating them. When it comes to the kinds of genius we often attribute to Black men, it is the labor the ingenuity and support of black women who have fostered, fertilized and cultivated that so-called black male genius, they were the ones editing and being sounding boards and you know, keeping the house and making meals and all of these other things while the men were so called out there doing what I don't know. So if if we take a sober assessment and that was really the 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 core of that thread for me is that if we take a sober assessment of the reality the way that it is, not the way that it should be, but the way that it actually is, we awaken to some really uncomfortable truths that we have been sold a lie. And don't get me wrong. I love romantic relationships. I love connecting and the pleasure and romance and sex and dating and being doted on and attention and all of those things. What I don't enjoy is being the trash receptacle of somebody else's unacknowledged trauma. Like and at this point for me, if you're a black man and you want to be in relationship with me, my first question is how many years have you been in therapy and what are some of the main things that you've worked through during that time? Who is your emotional support system? Because it's not going to be me. I'm raising one boy to be a man, and unless another one comes from my uterus, that's all I got. That's it. <laughs> and so we we too easily take on the labor of raising, you know, grown boys, you know, and into men, uh, because we think if we don't, we'll be lonely. Guess what, baby? You already alone.
0: Already. okay. (laughs) you're already
1: alone and your likelihood of partnering with a man who is on your level. You're doing all of this work to heal yourself, to be financially secure and stable, to take care of your body and your children. And you want a man who's not on that level. Like, again, I'm not trying to poo poo on men. Step up to the plate. Get it together. Get together with your boys and talk about your fears. Talk about your fear of being called gay. Like call it out because they the ones that are threatening you with violence and and all of these things. Because. Again, I mean, if we really get down to it, the reason why black men are so afraid of being called gay is because they know how sexually violent men are.
0: Mm-hmm. And they don't mm-hmm. want
1: to be the victims of the violence that men have towards women.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So no disagreement.
1: y'all got to check yourselves. I-
0: <laughs> so you made a lot of good points. And it, one of the things that reminded me of is hearing some of my married friends joke about how like I was sick and I still had to take care of the baby. Cause you know, my, my husband can't be, trusted to take care of the baby and it's like, okay <laughs> uh, what what kind of relationship or like what kind of partnership is this that you can't even depend on your husband to take care of y'all's baby when you are when you're sick? So those are the kind of things that I was thinking about when you were when you were talking. And the other thing, um, so one of our previous guests, she tweeted recently about how um, she was able to finish a first draft of her book manuscript in three months. And how her, her children, uh, her, her house is always clean and there's food cooked daily. And one of her friends who is married to a man um, and also a writer asked her how she was able to do it. And she said it's because she lives with women. And so it really made me think about how the value of being able to have community with other women and, and those benefits. So what would you say would be, our, would be some of the benefits for women marrying women? So let's, let's, before we get there, let's just
1: unpack marriage as an institution, right? Okay, let's do it. That the idea that love and romance was a necessary prerequisite for marriage is very, very, very new. That marriages were political and economic. They were about preservation of class status and love and romance was for your mistress, for your side piece, for, you know outside of the house. So the idea that, that romance and marriage go together is very, very, very new. And I think it's worth just questioning that assumption. Um, who does it serve to have an institution where all of an individual human's relating needs are demanded to be met by one person? Who does that mm-hmm. serve?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, men.
1: <laughs> I, mean, I mean, again, let's just do some math. Let's do some numbers. When, men's lives are extended when they marry women. Women's lives are shortened when they marry men. So the point is not to stop being with men. The point is not to... B- be a lesbian. It's not about sex unless you are. It's not about that. It's about women have fundamental basic survival needs that are not being met inside heterosexual marriages. And we need to consider ways that we can get those needs met. And the 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 thing here is also about Decentering romantic relationships in general, decentering this belief that you're gonna find your person, buy a house, have kids. Like so many women's eggs and uteruses are drying up because they're waiting. Mm-hmm. And it's like, on the one hand, it's like, man, just find you one that's good enough. Let them knock you up and go raise that baby with your friends. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but I don't really necessarily see an alternative when straight men are so stunted emotionally and psychologically and the culture, the society, the ways, way we raise them does does everything to reinforce this not growing up from the moment they come out of the womb. I mean, I see it with my own siblings still relying on my mother for certain labor when it's like you're grown and married and you're grown with children. Like, what are you doing? Take care of your own stuff. But again, from birth to the grave, men are kept in this stunted state. And I'm not exactly sure what the point is at this point. Like, 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 what is the point? And this is not to say, again, that it's mother's fault that, that you know, Black men are this way. Um, it's a cultural expectation and belief system about the fact that men uh, are inherently incapable. So we should not ask them for more.
0: Uh, Yeah. And so that goes back to that again, goes back to uh, my friends, the friends that I've heard who are married joking about their husbands not being able to take care of the kids. Like it's not that he's incapable. You just, we just don't ask them for more or don't expect or demand more of them in general as a society. So they're allowed to act like they can't take care of their kids or can't, you know? So, yeah, you also mentioned that, well, actually, I want to ask what some of the challenges are for this type of, Resituating the, the the institution of marriage. What do you think some of the challenge are challenges are for heterosexual women? I mean, it's just
1: really hard to deprogram yourself from centering romantic relationships of any kind from your life goals, um, where we are kind of indoctrinated to to orient our entire lives around. I mean, we've come a long way. You know, there was a time where women only went to college to find a husband, right? So we're a long way from that. And women have legitimate career ambitions, academic ambitions, skills and goals that that don't have anything to do with a man. Um, But I think the hardest thing is is deprogramming ourselves and and really accepting the reality of what is part of part of what actually inspired this thread besides my own life and my own relationships with women Uh, There was a video going around um, where I can't remember the guy's name. He was a radio host. And this woman called in and he was basically telling her, like, sis, you're average looking at best. You are you you're financially independent and ambitious and successful. And in terms of high earning men, like you just don't have the assets. Like, again, men marry to be transactional. Men, men marry for class reasons. They're not marrying for love. Men are marrying because their wife is an indication of their class status, and they are trying to convince white men that they are on par and deserve power and access to power. And so the challenge is women accepting that men do not marry for love.
0: Yes, I think that's really, really hard for for Black women, especially, who are taught to You know, love is enough and love will get you through and and hold him down and be his support and all that stuff. So
1: he can leave you and get with a light skin white woman, age.
0: Like it's still happening. It's still happening.
1: Kevin Hart left his dark skin woman for for a racially ambiguous woman. Michael Jordan left his his black woman for racially Scottie Pippen. I mean, all of these men get to a certain and it's about class. And so Mm -hmm. this is the uncomfortable conversation across the board that nobody wants to have, that we can talk all day about race and racism and racial dynamics. We can talk to we're blue in the face about misogyny and misogynoir. But the reason that there is violence against black people, there is violence against black women and trans women. The reason we are oppressed is class power black men want to win capitalism they want to be top at the top of the tower of oppression because they think that that is going to free them from the oppressive thumb of white men and no it is not i don't care how much money you get how fine your wife is how big your house is how big your car is they will still smash your face down into the concrete until you suffocate and say oops when it's all over yep you know, I, you know, I'll be getting fired up, man. I'll be getting fired up. But it, but it's the truth. It is the truth. It is the
0: truth. And I and I I have heard now I have heard of um, other black women talking about how men marry for status. But I have not heard very many black men be honest about the fact that they marry for status and, and class reasons and things like that. Because they don't so, they're
1: not aware of it. Like they think that they just love this woman. And this is why I'm always talking about decolonize the survival instinct, because people really don't even know what's motivating them. They don't understand these dynamics. They're just looking at the surface. They're just looking at the surface of things and they don't understand their nervous systems have been co-opted by patriarchy and white supremacy. To the point that who and what you are even attracted to is an artifact of these systems of oppression, colorism fat phobia ableism all of these things are artifacts of white supremacy you don't think she's fine because she's objectively beautiful you think she's fine because whiteness and your desire for power has taught you that she's beautiful mary mcloy bethune was not some light skin but she 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 had it going on she got hers Nina Simone was not some light skinned bombshell, red bow with straight hair. And... White supremacy has told you what is beautiful and you think your dick is getting hard because she's objectively beautiful to you. No, you're watching porn that doesn't even have representation of the women that you encounter in your daily life. They're representing women that you don't even have access to, wouldn't even look your way. If, if you were walking down the street, you think that's what's beautiful. You think that's what you're attracted to. You think that's what you want. You didn't choose that. You didn't choose that. Your nervous system has been co-opted. You're, I mean, you're the from music videos to the kinds of women who are even allowed into the gates of the entertainment industry, you think that it's, oh, they're so talented and beautiful. No, white supremacy has defined beauty for black people. It's about getting as close and adjacent to whiteness as possible so that you could have access to power. And again, don't get me wrong, access to power in some cases can ensure some security and survival. You want your kid, you don't want your kids to go to school with the poor black kids who ain't reading on grade level. You want your kids to go to school with the white kids who been reading since they were three. Right. You got to ask yourself. If those wins for you are ultimately going to protect you and your offspring from the real threat.
0: Yes. And so that reminds me of some like a sector of like women's empowerment. That's about femininity. I don't know if you're familiar with (laughs) like, that reminds me of like the femininity girls who are, I don't want to say preaching, but kind of their message is to, you know, be more feminine, to attract a high value man. Who's going to be able to, you know, take care of you. And so be softer and always be in your femininity and don't be too assertive and all this kind of stuff. That's what it reminded me of like, okay, that may secure you a man that has more means because of the way masculinity is tied to like patriarchy and you know being the protector and the provider and stuff but is that really freedom like is that really freedom
1: no you I mean, have- because you've locked yourself into this definition of womanhood that you haven't defined for yourself self determination means i get to say who and what i am free from somebody else's gaze and so if how you move in your body and through space and time is in order to garner a certain type of attention, like can you keep that game up? Can you keep- And what's the cost?
0: If you if you can, what's the what's the cost?
1: Facts. Facts. Don't be too. I mean, that's don't be too what for whom? For what purpose? Like, like, again, as soon as you step out of that mold, you open yourself up to violence. Mm -hmm, Because mm -hmm. you've created the dynamic where your quietness, your lack of assertiveness, your lack of boundaries, your your, quote, femininity is catering to his ego to feel Mm -hmm. powerful. The minute you stop, the minute you have some lip and you say what you really think. What happens? you, You don't understand what the threat really is. The threat is not not being able to find a man. That's not the threat.
0: Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so I also want to ask, Um, you said that this conversation of, about taking marriage out of the context of the romantic and the sexual uh, has taken some of the pressure off of you to live your life in a certain way and to engage with men in a certain way. Can you say more about that? Whew.
1: So, one, learning how to be a genuine friend to other women has been an intentional work for me over the past few years. Learning the ways that women are taught that other women are disposable and that when you fall out, I ain't talking to her no more, I don't right, that whole thing. It's just like, wow, so you think that you just destined disposable as men think you are. You're willing to discard these relationships just as easily as men dispose of women, right? And working through my own issues of abandonment and rejection and the trauma that I experienced has been so key into properly valuing my relationships with women. Because at the end of the day, like my ride or die, the person who, you know, spent weeks purging stuff out of my house and taking it to goodwill in the middle of a pandemic and driving across the country with me and my kid to move here was a woman, my best friend. So definitely, I mean, we have to truly unpack inside of ourselves the ways that we have internalized hatred of women. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember growing up, it was really popular to say, I don't even have that many women friends. I'm mostly friends with guys as if this was like some kind of badge of honor. And I was one of those people, mostly because like, I grew up around all boys. I didn't have any sisters. It was my dad and his cousins and my brothers and all of their friends. So truth be told, I didn't know how to relate to women. I didn't like the cattiness of women's relationships. And I didn't want to participate in that. Also, I discarded of women or girls at the time, just like, "Uh uh-huh, say and do something I don't like, eh, right? And that's internalized misogyny. It's maternalized hatred of women. It's internalized self-hatred. So we have to confront that. We have to confront that. We have to confront this hatred of ourselves and internalizing the voices and the gazes of patriarchy and especially misogynoir, that special kind of hatred of women that's preserved for Black women. Uh, also, getting to the point where, and some of this is privilege, Right? Because I have the financial means to not enter into a relationship with a man in order to secure stability. But at the same time, I actually never had to do that. Me and my friend could have got a house together, shared living spaces and expenses, and have that whole thing secure. But it's just never been presented to us as a legitimate option. It's Mm -hmm. never been presented to us. Does that mean that my boo can't come? No, not at all. But just know that I'm not going to secure my stability to someone who can't tell whether he's angry or grieving and is willing to lash out on me because of his confusion. Like, I don't need to be that close to you. And from the people who say, well, you just shouldn't be with somebody else like that anyway, where they at? <laughs> make me a list and me a spreadsheet. I love spreadsheets. Give me the specs, age, where they live, how much they make, how big is their, you know, let's just really let's get down to it. Where where they at? And are you married? How many of your friends are married? Are you th- <laughs> like let's not let's 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 get out of fantasy and make believe land. Let's let's get out of Eventually I'm going to find a One of the things I said in that thread, I think it was this thread, was basically that a black woman is never going to find her equal. Mm. Never. Mm. It does not exist. Do you realize that a black woman single handedly preserved democracy for another two months? Where is her equal?
0: (laughs) Listen, I, I don't think a lot of people are ready to grapple with that. <laughs> no, not at all.
1: Not at all. And 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 it's so funny because when I wrote that thread, me and my best friend and some of our other girlfriends were definitely having these conversations in real life. Like that wasn't just a the theory I wrote down. And then no, we were having these conversations already. And today, you know, I was literally laying here taking a nap like, man, you know what? Romantic relationships are exhausting. Like too much is required and demanded. Like it's too much. And then you want me to move in and have kids and I got to share finances with you. I have to share a home with you. I have to co-parent with you. And I have to have sex with you, probably the only person I'm supposed to have sex with for the rest of my life, and I'm supposed to lean on you for emotional support and go to the funerals with you when your mama dies and all of that.
0: Like it's all of that too
1: much. Free yourself.
0: <laughs> and and so you say free yourself, and I was just think like it makes me. I have thought about the freedom that I. Think, or I feel like I would have if I did, like marry a, a friend, a female friend, and then deal with men on the basis that I wanted to deal with them. On. Like what? What kind of freedom is?
1: Yeah. Well, you so would, i thought about that. You would be so emotionally free because you would, if the minute he start acting like a fool, you'd be like, oof, no thanks." Like <laughs> the the obligation that women have to put up with. Men's lack of emotional intelligence, consistency, poor communication skills, lack of self awareness, laziness, and this is not all men, but all men have some combination of a few of these because the culture raises them and socializes them and reinforces them to be that way. So as soon as women start treating men as transactional, the way that men have been treated, you know it's going to start something. You know, like it, Yep. Yep,
0: <laughs> they're gonna be mad. Well, I, I honestly, I don't. I mean, I don't know how near in the future or how re- realistic it is, but I honestly hope to see more women doing this and 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 taking this route because it. I I do see it as something that would allow us more freedom and uh, more freedom from the male gaze Whew. and depending on men for our material well being. Right. So, which they um, just make worse anyway like it's very rare
1: for a black woman to get married and for her financial situation to improve.
0: That there's that too because <laughs> if you marry someone who doesn't make as much as you then you are actually losing money like tying yourself to someone financially who So right that brings up yeah. a whole
1: other conversation about like like as a black woman would you marry someone who makes less money than you which is mm-hmm. just like like we have to have an honest conversation about racism and about the ways that racism disenfranchises us economically and that the kinds of expectations that we have as far as partnering up with people, we need to reassess those and we need to think of them in terms of the reality of what things are. We still think we're gonna duplicate white marriage. We think we're gonna duplicate this dynamic that white people have, we don't have access to that power. So we need to get our power and agency in a different way.
0: You have said a mouthful uh, I'm I'm <laughs> yeah. So, um, one of my last questions for guests is: What is one book or resource that has been formative for you?
1: So, particularly in this conversation of uh, gender dynamics, um, which is you know, a under the umbrella of black feminism. This book by Angela Davis, Women, Race and Class. I love Angela Davis because Angela Davis is one, I told you so person and I love her for it because Angela Davis is like, look, let me present this. Let me postulate this thing to you. And then I'm going to read down history. This ain't opinion. This is fact. I'm gonna read down history. And when you get to the end of this book, you're going to wonder why you never knew this. And so what Angela Davis does in this book is she traces the at the time. So this was published in. 1981, which was still that like first wave, first ish wave of feminism, feminism. She traces what was believed to be the white feminist movement back to the slave quarters, back to Sojourner Truth and the ways that the the women's suffrage movement was co-opted from Black women. Mm -hmm. She talks about gender roles and the ways that uh, Blackness in America has always required us to reject or question this. And that when it comes to what feminism actually is and its root, it's Black. And it's black mm. women. So this this book right here, I would have never identified as a feminist prior to reading this book.
0: Mm. And now I would say
1: I'm a black feminist.
0: <laughs> gotcha. All right, Dana. Well, tell people where they can find you on the internet. I'm all over the interwebs, Kayla. Um,
1: my favorite place to be is the com. Obviously my own website, but I love Twitter because Twitter allows me to pop off things and get immediate engagement and and all of those things so across all social media platforms twitter instagram and clubhouse i am people's oracle and that's where you can find
0: me gotcha thank you so much for being on the show it was a pleasure having you thank you kayla thank you for listening to not the wifey type the podcast if you love the show make sure to subscribe so you'll know when new episodes drop and rate and review so others will know how much you love the show too if you want to keep up with me personally you can follow me on instagram at not the wifey type until next time i'm reminding you to belong to yourself